Welcome to Funding and Disrupting, the most in-depth business podcast for technology companies looking to raise capital and the venture capital firms that fund them. We interview venture capital firm managing partners and tech company founders to get the real story of how it all came together. If you're searching for funding for a disruptive or innovative technology, or you're searching for the best companies to invest in, then you've come to the right place. Now, let's get funding and disrupting with our host, Keith Herman. Hi, I'm Keith Herman, the host of Funding and Disrupting. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we have Tim Flannery, the co-founder of Passthrough, also CEO. So I'm excited to have him here, and we're going to get right to it. So how are you today, Tim? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Keith. Really excited to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm excited to hear because uh, pass-through is something that uh, I've dealt in that space for a long time, and it's something that I'm very familiar with. And uh, I think what you're doing is is terrific. So why don't we start uh, and go back a little bit uh, to learn a little bit more about you, because you are an entrepreneur. And you have that in your blood. You're a competitive guy. You played rugby. I did. I picked it up in my 30s, which might not have been the smartest thing <laughs> I've ever done, but I avoided any serious injuries. And now I don't play anymore. Okay. So where do you find competition these days? These days, I find competition mainly in making sure that I keep my three and two-year-old alive. And so I'm winning that one, which is good. Otherwise, most of my time is kind of spent with work. And so... Turns out that's a competitive endeavor now. I'm sure they keep you very busy. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit more about your path to pass through? We'll get to pass through in a minute, but the the uh, listeners are always interested in entrepreneurship. So why don't you give us a little bit about, about your background and uh, your path of entrepreneurship to pass through? Yeah. So it's something I probably didn't recognize at the time, but it started when I was really young, where my brother was a decade older than me and he would play basketball games in high school. And I would go onto the bleachers and find the old programs from other games. And I would go sell them for like a dollar to people who thought I was cute. And so I started selling when I was pretty little, but I don't think I picked it up again professionally for a long time. When I graduated college, I took a job at at JB Morgan. I spent five years there doing a couple different things. And then I left and I raised a micro venture fund. And so I had a, a partner that took a bet on me that I would come in and I would be productive. And uh, it, it's one of the great leaps that I, I made in my career. So I got to do that for a couple of years. And then we went to, I went over to one of our portfolio companies and ran operations there for a bit. And then I decided to grab my MBA. After I graduated from business school, I took a sales job at Carta. And I'm the only person in my 900 person MBA class that took a sales job. And I did it because I knew if I was going to go run a business one day that I would have to go learn how to sell. And so I picked it back up again. And that's where I met my partners, Alex and Ben. He led engineering for the investor services group over at Carta. And Ben was a product and operations leader. And so I, I ended up joining as a uh, individual contributor in sales, got promoted a number of times. And then I was the head of go-to-market. And so I, I knew that I liked working in startups. I knew I liked working in early stage. Carter was some really nice growth stage experience. Those two actually went out to start pass through ahead of me. Alex left Google and Ben left Carta to go start the company. And they bootstrapped it for about a year before I joined them. They asked me a couple of times to join. I said no. And then eventually I said yes. And it was the three of us. And we were off to the races from there. And so for me, it was uh, starting a small venture fund was was definitely a bit of entrepreneurship. But then this is my first real both feed in experience with it. 
and it's a ride. What what exactly did did you learn uh, with the VC? You know, with your entrance into the VC world, you know, they, you, it's always it's always challenge getting into the space, right? And you have an investor hat. Uh, now you're a founder, right? So you're wearing a different hat. What did you learn from that that you decided to make the transition into the founder, co-founder? It turns out I just like building stuff more than I I like investing into things. And so it's hard for me to to get uh, insane conviction on an opportunity. I was able to do that with Carta. I was able to do that at a couple other points in time in my career. And I decided that I liked making a bet more with my career and the thing I was building rather than investing into things. And so I, I quickly, as I started working with one of our portfolio companies, recognized that I became a better investor once I had some experience actually being on the front lines. And so the the firm was a really good exposure to that. But ultimately, I just I found it was a lot more fun to be going out and building. And so while I while I enjoyed being on the investing side, it's not something that I, I think I wanted to return to because I actually like building and hiring a team and leading everybody together. And, and we were a bit of a, a smaller shop. So it was a nice exposure to being able to take a look at a lot of different business models. It was a nice exposure, being able to see a lot of different leadership styles across our portfolio, what worked and what didn't work. And so there's a lot of lessons I took out from that for how to be a better founder and how to actually help run teams better. And so that was really instructive. Fill us in on what you're doing at Passthrough because it's exciting what they're doing. Why don't you fill us in there? We started off by doing... Let me just start back over here. So when I joined when I joined Carta in the Investor Services Group, Alex and Ben had helped stand up the Investor Services Group. I joined right when we launched Fund Administration. And so we were onboarding venture funds left and right. And the way that you onboard funds is somebody hands you an executed subscription document, this long legal agreement that somebody needs to sign before they invest into your fund. And we were getting them and we were trying to decipher people's handwritings. And these things were incomplete. They were inaccurate. And so it took us a ton of time to actually onboard people. My partner, Ben, was running those teams. And so he recognized that there was a couple of different things with investor onboarding that we could go out and solve for. One was that you could make sure that investors only saw the questions that were relevant to them and every question that was relevant to them. And you could build something that was custom to every single subscription agreement because every law firm, sometimes every partner, every jurisdiction, they all have their own versions of it. And besides that, besides having investors fill these things out incorrectly, you could solve for unstructured data. All the information that you collect, you can make sure that it's uh, it's tagged appropriately so you can map to it. And then you can also solve this deep coordination challenge of how do I get subscription documents out to my investors and know where they are in the process? And then how do I actually make sure that I'm coordinating my law firm, my fund admin, my tax team, my compliance team? And they're not just looking at different versions of a document. And so we built something that looks like TurboTax. It's only the questions that are relevant to you. It's every question that's relevant to you. And that way you can fill out a subdoc in 20 minutes in one sitting, as opposed to the hours or days or weeks that it takes today. And you fill it out correctly 80% of the time instead of probably doing it about 20% of the time. And so this way we could help people just quickly invest into venture funds. It takes you a couple of minutes to invest in something on Robinhood. It takes you hours or days or weeks to invest into a private fund. It's too much. And so we started and launched with that. We actually added another another piece to it, which was KYC AML. And so it's a part of the same core problem of how do you get your investors onboarded quickly so you can admit them into your fund so that you as a fund manager can go back to doing the things that you need to do. And so investors can now map all their beneficial owners. We screen them automatically. And then after that, uh, you have all the case management tools you need to manage your risk to decide whether or not to admit those investors into your fund, regardless of which jurisdiction that you're in. And so we're doing that today for about 250 fund managers. And they look like $50 million venture funds, but also 
hundred billion dollar plus global asset managers. You've you've been so far through a couple of funding rounds. Why don't you tell us quickly about what it was like getting capital from the very beginning? Yeah. So my partners bootstrapped the business and I joined because they said, hey, let's talk about going out to raise the seed and can you help me think through the strategy? And so I took a look at the strategy and it became obvious to me that this was a really large opportunity and we started to go out to raise together. And we began to raise for the seed round in the summer of 21. How large was some, that? It was a $5 million round. And those are some pretty heady times if you were going to go out and raise. This is a very fast process. It ended up taking us about two months from when we started to when we closed capital. And there was multiple suitors out there, valuations that were incredibly favorable. And so all in, we were in it pretty quick, out of it pretty quick. And we were lucky to find really great partners with positive sum. So we had a couple of groups that came uh, to, to try to lead the round. But when we thought about who could help us with go-to-market, who could help us with the industry experience, who could help, it was positive sum. It was a no-brainer to us. And so we worked with them really closely. And one of the things that was really important is a lesson for me is how to work with my investors so that I can develop those relationships over time. And so towards the end of 21 and then into 22, we actually started getting inbound interest from those really large multi-stage firms that everybody knew. And so the business was doing really well. We were growing quickly uh, while still keeping our headcount pretty low. And we started diving down this path of the preempt, where we had folks that were coming to us that were trying to go out and figure out how they could deploy capital with us. And so we really quickly ran a process in the beginning of 2022 to say, all right, we've got a number of parties that are interested. How do we go out and do this? Well, we didn't recognize that the macro environment was shifting underneath us. And the partner that was trying to take us to the finish line wasn't the partner that we wanted to actually cross the finish line with. And so we pulled back from that and we said, okay, let's let's be a little bit more thoughtful about how we're going to grow here instead of trying to maximize our valuation, maximize our, our dollars in, and think about the kinds of businesses that we wanted to build. And so later that year, we spent a little bit more time saying, how much do we need? We don't need too much. But what would we go out and invest in if we were going to go do it? We put together a plan for how would we make sure that our sales and operations pays for itself? It largely does today. And then we'd be able to go invest in R&D and marketing. But what's the amount of spend that we need? And how do we think about building a sustainable business in the long term? And the numbers weren't nearly so large as what we'd been talking about as a part of the preempt. And so we went out to the market. And luckily, we had really strong partners and positive sum. And so we knew that we'd be able to go out and put a round together with them. But then if we could find a, a partner that we thought would be really creative to what we were doing, we could add them. And so we had a number of other partners that decided that they wanted to come into the round, some other term sheets that we reviewed. But ultimately, we love the, the team that we're working with the positive sum, and we decided to run it back with them again. And so with them, we raised another $10 million at the end of last year that is being announced pretty shortly. And so that gives us runway for the next few years to go execute on our game plan. Tell us about your initial interactions with Positive Sum because uh, you're, you've had a great relationship here. But what was it like? Did you meet them? Was it warm introductions? Did you know somebody there? What? What? How did you get introduced to them? What was it like? And uh, fill us in on that first, and then I'll get to the second part of the question. So I met Positive Sum through a guy named Dave Ambrose. Dave Ambrose is one of the general partners at Bungalow. Prior to that. He was at another large Tiger Cub fund that was a client of mine over at Carta. And so we became friends over the years. And when we were going out to raise, I said, hey, Dave, who should I talk to? And Dave gave me a list of 18 people in his network that he thought would be great candidates to go lead the seed round. And so I went and I talked to 17 of them. And then I was going to respond to Dave. And I saw at the tail end of that email, there was an 18th name that I hadn't seen, which was Patrick O'Shaughnessy at uh, Positive Sum. 
I didn't know Patrick. I, I hadn't listened to his podcast, but it turns out that Patrick has a large podcast with great distribution to all the different folks that we care about. I said, hey, Dave, I forgot to talk to Patrick. Can you connect us? And so Patrick immediately afterwards shoots me a text and says, hey, let's talk. And so I talked to him and then he talked to my partners and then his partner, Sam, talked to us as well. Sam sits on our board. And so we really quickly developed a relationship and it, it was speed dating. There was a number of folks that were we were dating at the time, but we really had a great relationship with them. And so from that, it happened fast because everything there happened fast and uh, and they ended up coming on board. And then since then, it's been you know daily or weekly texts or calls or whatever it might be. With the team over there, we have an incredibly close, close relationship. So direct introduction, and they happen to have an unbelievable distribution ne- mechanism for us across the the private capital markets instead of just in venture, where, which is where our networks were strongest. Other than capital, how how else are they helping you? So it's that network that's that's the biggest. So the first thing that they did was Patrick has this podcast called Invest Like the Pest that has all sorts of institutional allocators, fund managers. Uh, turns out pretty much everybody except for me listened to it. And so when I actually told my partner, Ben, that I met with Patrick, he said, why didn't you bring me on? He was a big fan. And so we were totally right that that was very effective distribution for us. The second thing is that they're actually incredibly hands-on. Sam, who's again, sits on our board, helped us hire the first 14 people that we hired. He talked to every one of them. And so the feedback from all of our candidates afterwards was that Sam was a big part of why they thought about joining a team that was that early. Uh, besides that, whenever we have a, a random issue, when we're thinking about pipeline this or pricing that or dev community, something else, we reach out to Sam and he and Patrick take a look in their Rolodexes and there's immediately a conversation that we can have. And so they've helped us get smarter about many, many parts of our business. There's a reason that we decided to go back to them. And it was not just dollars and cents. Are you getting the same cooperation from your other investors as well? One of my lessons is that some investors are going to be incredibly helpful and others aren't. And it's actually really hard to predict up front. So for some of those that I had strong relationships with beforehand, I had a pretty good sense of what I was going to get. But there are some people that totally surprised me. We got introduced to uh, the CEO and founder of a a group called Solovis through somebody else. And, and he had some relevant experience and I just wanted to learn a little bit from him. And Josh came on to our cap table and Josh is one of my first calls when I've got a problem going on that I know that he's had some experience with it and he's always made himself available. Same thing with Bob Moore, who's the CEO and co-founder over at Crossbeam. Yeah, they've been unbelievably pleasant surprises. For others, they're a little bit more passive. They're still gonna respond when I reach out and ask them to go do things, but I need to reach out and ask them specifically as opposed to them volunteering information. So for some folks, great feels like they're really in the trenches with us. For others, they're a little bit more hands-off, and that's just their style, and that's okay. For other tech founders that are raising money who want those types of relationships going into fundraising, what kind of advice would you give them? Some of the most productive conversations I had, so Dave was a really close friend of mine, and so I could just say, hey, Dave, who should I talk to? And he would help me think through all of these conversations, which was great. Dave was... So that it was just a close friend that I already had. For the others, it was founders who saw what we were doing and they were really interested in the space. And so they already had their own relationships that we could piggyback off of with other with other folks in uh, in venture. And that's actually how we landed a few of the other firms that came in was actually through these other founders. And so that was really important to us. And so I'd say talk to other founders who are in the space, talk to them about the people who are on their cap table and who's helpful and who isn't helpful. You'll get some of them that they're not going to give a rousing recommendation for and and others that they'll say are top tier investors that you have to squeeze other people out and make room for them. And it's absolutely worth it. What's your plan at pass through to scale the, the company? One thing, by the way, in the raise that we did that was a little bit different from what we'd seen other people doing, it just as a part of processes, we're better writers than we are people who make decks. So we actually wrote out 
clear memos for both the seed round and the series A for what we saw as the opportunity. Why is this the time? Why are we the team? And, and what are we going to go do with it? And so the way that we take a look at our business today is we have a, a core business of, of fund closing where there's managers who are in the market every couple of years. And what we need to be able to go do is become the default fund closing option for them. And so that means anybody's going out and raising in a couple of years time, if they're not saying that pass through needs to be a part of needs to be a part of their review or their LPs, if they send them something other than pass through saying, why aren't you using pass through? Well, that's how we think about default. So that's what we're really aiming towards. We do think there's an interesting opportunity with enterprise and with API customers too. And so enterprise are folks that are always in the market all the time, raising either first party and third party funds. And API customers are kind of like the iCapital unbundled. And so the next couple of years are really about exploring those and figuring out how we can begin to scale them. But those are more zero to one problems while scaling our core business is, is very much the goal of, of this race. For folks that want to get a hold of you, what's the best way? How available uh, yeah. are you and how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, shoot me an email at Tim and Pastor and I will find time. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. We greatly appreciate your time. And uh, we know that uh, your your story will resonate with our audience. So thanks again. And we are looking forward to hear some great things from Pass Through. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it, Keith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Funding and Disrupting. Don't forget to visit our sponsor, AuraCo.com, to learn more about working directly with Aura Collective's exclusive technology PR team. They'll help you craft your message, get noticed in the press, and help you get your venture to the funding finish line. Again, you can visit them at www.AuraCo.com. Keep funding and keep disrupting.